Please open your Bibles with me to 1 Samuel chapter 17. 1 Samuel chapter 17, we are, we'll pick up the second half of the chapter here tonight. We are studying through this famous chapter, well, well-known passage of Scripture, where David fights Goliath. Remember last week we picked up this battle scene that has gathered there in Israel. The armies of the Philistines are encamped on one side of the valley of Elah. The armies of Israel are camped on the other side. The battle uh, armies have drawn near and they are taunting one another, challenging one another, getting ready to rush into battle. And a champion of the Philistines comes out named Goliath. Scripture says he was their champion. Now, you know, a champion is someone who has been victorious in battle. This was an undefeated, battle-tested warrior. It probably helped that he was over nine feet tall. That helps when you want to be a champion. That's a good advantage, that kind of size. He's completely arrayed in his battle gear, and he is taunting the nation of Israel, and he is saying, listen, you send out your best warrior to face me and winner take all. If I win, you will submit to us. If you win, if your, your fighter defeats me, then we will submit to you. And, of course, as a nine-foot champion is out taunting on the battlefield, the armies of Israel are overwhelmed with this challenge. He is huge. He is a force to be reckoned with. And by all appearance, there is nobody in the camp that can go out and even have a chance against a man with this kind of size advantage and battle experience and confidence and, and you know, just the complete armor, the, the armor itself and his spear and shield, 150 pounds, just carrying that. And Saul, we know, is the king currently reigning in Israel, but he's not a spiritual man. In fact, the Spirit of the Lord has departed Saul, and he has turned from the Lord, and he is really left with nothing but his own natural resources. Now, the Bible says that he was head and shoulders above all the other men in Israel. Saul himself was a very tall man. But, you know, I imagine head and shoulders, maybe, maybe he was 6'4", right? Big guy. Nothing compared to nine, nine and a half feet. So Saul was the most likely. He was the king. He was the biggest warrior in Israel. He should go out and fight him, but he's not going out there. Instead, he's offering uh, reward for anybody that will go out there. He offers his daughter he, uh, in marriage. He offers free taxes for the family of the, of the, of the warrior that will go out and uh, relief from taxes for the warrior that will go out. I mean, he's doing anything he can. And for 40 days, this giant is out there taunting them, waiting for someone to step forth. Well, you know the story. We looked at it last week. David has been sent by his father to bring supplies to the battle and to check on his brothers. His two eldest brothers are there in the army. David's just taking care of the sheep for his dad. He just comes as a shepherd boy to deliver supplies, and he overhears and sees this challenge, and he brings a whole different perspective. He brings a spiritual view. He brings faith into the equation. The men of Israel, including their king, only could see the natural, only could see what they could see with their own eyes. David sees something completely different. Who is this uncircumcised Philistine 
that dares to challenge and taunt the armies of the living God. Who is this guy? Who does he think he is coming up against God and his people? A totally different perspective that David brings. And, and his confidence and his words, well, it kind of spreads through the camp. This guy's bringing a completely different mindset. And the words that he's speaking reach the, uh, the king Saul. And it's there where we pick it up now in verse 31 of chapter 17. We looked at all of that last week, kind of bringing us into the, 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 the event before it takes place. We saw David's faith, and now the actual battle is getting ready to take place. Verse 31. Now, when the words which David spoke were heard, they reported them to Saul, and he sent for him. Look, verse 32. Then David said to Saul, let no man's heart fail because of him, the Goliath. Your servant will go and fight with this Philistine. Think about this for a moment. The nine and a half foot giant is out there taunting the nation for 40 days. Not one man has stepped forth. Here comes David, the shepherd boy. And he walks up to the king. King, don't be afraid. Have no fear. Your friendly neighborhood shepherd boy is here. <laughs> I imagine Saul thought, this is the guy that's been out there boasting about the armies of God. This kid, this teenager, really, you're going to go out and fight him? David is ready to go. Now, listen, it sounds almost like just kind of a young man's boast, doesn't it? It sounds like he's just filled with pride, but he's not. We've already seen where David's confidence is coming from. We saw that in the earlier verses. His confidence is in the Lord. David does not consider himself a match for Goliath, but he knows that God and him are a match for Goliath and a victor over Goliath. And David has learned that the Lord's faithfulness to him will go with him as he goes. David has aligned his heart with the Lord's cause. And that's where faith is, is born. It's born when the heart is aligned with God and God begins to instill his purpose into the situation. And that is where you begin to bring, bring forth faith. And so he now steps forward. And this is the way the Lord often works. David has come to the camp and he is he is alerted to a great need. There's a crisis. The armies are in are in trouble and there's a giant threatening them. And in this, he begins to to align his heart with the Lord. This isn't right. This guy's out here defiling the, the armies of God. This guy doesn't even know the Lord. He has he worships false gods and his heart is beginning to align with the Lord. And from that point, he, rec he realizes that, you know what, if we need somebody to fight, I will go and fight him. And this is the journey that the Lord uses when we're walking by faith. First, you know that there's a need. First, you recognize, hey, something's not right. And it's not you're not necessarily ready to go out and fight Goliath in that first moment. But as your heart aligns with the Lord... And you begin to realize that God has brought you to this place for such a time as this. You realize God's calling you to pray and to go and to step forward. David's ready now to go take on this Goliath. Look at verse 33. And Saul said to David, you are not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him. For you are a youth and he a man of war from his youth. But David said to Saul, your servant used to keep his father's sheep. 
And when a lion or a bear came and took a lamb out of the flock, I went out after it and struck it and delivered the lamb from its mouth. And when it arose against me, I caught it by its beard and struck it and struck and killed it. Your servant has killed both lion and bear. And this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them, seeing he has defied the armies of the living God. Moreover, David said, the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear, he will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said to David, go and the Lord be with you. Okay, kid, if that, you know, you got faith and, and you think the Lord's with you. Well, the Lord be with you. But listen to David's kind of response. First of all, Saul says, you're not able. Again, Saul only seeing things through the natural man's eye. And, and when he looks at David and he considers Goliath, David, give it up. That This is not your fight. You're not able. You're just a kid. This guy's been a warrior longer than you've been alive. He's going to make easy victory over you. Uh, you're, you're not really the guy that should go out. He doesn't see the spiritual battle. He doesn't see the Lord's cause in this. He doesn't have the eyes of faith that David brings into the equation. And what's important to note here is that David's faith has been trained and prepared in his faithful service as a shepherd. You see, David had already seen the Lord working in his life as a shepherd, as just a young man doing his father's work out in the field when a lion and a bear came. And those would be, you know, life-threatening enemies. David, just responding as a shepherd to protect the flock and protect the sheep, God was with him and he had gained victory over these attacking prey. And in that, being faithful with what God had entrusted to him, he was learning something about faith. He was learning something about the Lord being with him. And he probably didn't realize it, but God was preparing him for this day. God was getting him ready for Goliath. God sent the bear. God sent the lion. God gave David all those days and nights out in the field, practicing with his sling, protecting the sheep, being trained for this day, this moment when God would exalt him in Israel and he would go out and fight the battle against Goliath. And this is often, again, the way the Lord works. I would call this the Lord's ministry prep school. God training in the smaller setting, training in the obscure settings for that which He ultimately has for you in the larger setting. A few lessons that I think we can note here just in David's training in the, in the shepherd field. Number one, learn faithfulness in the early opportunities. Learn to be faithful and learn of God's faithfulness in those early opportunities that the Lord gives to you. Being faithful where you are. You know, sometimes we think, oh, you know, this is, you know, I, I, this is too small for me. I need to be doing this. I, I'm ready to fight the giants. I want God to give me something really profound, something impactful. I want to really do something great for the Lord. If you can't be faithful with the insignificant, smaller things, taking care of the sheep for your father out in the lonely nights in the field and protecting them, 
What makes you think that you will be ready to be the king of Israel and and protect God's people? Learn faithfulness in the early opportunities. The second thing I notice in this ministry prep school of David is that trials are for the purpose of testing and maturing faith. David had to face a lion and then a bear. I mean, that's no small thing. You'd you'd rather just have God kind of not send the lions and the bears to the flock. I'd rather just kind of be dealing with normal shepherding responsibilities. But the Lord has allowed David already in his early years to be greatly challenged. Even these would be life-threatening kinds of experiences for David. And I believe this is what the Lord does. He sends trials, he allows trials into our lives to prepare our hearts in faith for what he is ultimately bringing us to. Can you see that it's David's experience in, with the lion and the bear that is now giving him the, the confidence that God will be with him against this giant? It's those trials that he experienced early on as a young man that he is now, he's still a young man, but now he's ready for the next step. We don't like trials. We want to avoid trials. Lord, keep the bears and lions away. But those are the very things that are necessary if you want to be prepared for the ministry and the things that God has for you. Listen, life is going to challenge you. You're going to have to stand for Christ. You're going to have to be ready to minister in your family, in your community, in our culture. Life is going to bring trials. And if you are unwilling to learn the lessons of maturing your faith in the early trials as God is readying you, how are you going to be ready for what God ultimately has for you? Do you remember what the Lord told Jeremiah? Jeremiah was, now that was a, that's a tough ministry. You want to see a man who really had a tough ministry, study Jeremiah. Basically, he preached for years and years and years and nobody listened. <laughs> and you know what? After a while, he started to complain. It was still early on in his ministry. He said, you know, Lord, we're not getting many converts here. I'm preaching, but nobody's listening. They're still doing what they want to do. People aren't listening to me. And he started kind of complaining to the Lord. So the Lord encouraged him. The Lord said, Jeremiah, if you can't run with the foot soldiers, how are you going to run when the horsemen come? <laughs> I'd like that to be your encouragement. <laughs> Jeremiah, you're whining now. When it's easy, how are you going to be ready when the battle really begins to rage. You see, God is working all things together for good. Listen, He knows what's coming. And He is allowing even the trials of today that you wish He would remove. Those may be the very things that He is using to ready you for His purpose for your future and in the ministry and the effect, the impact that He wants to have through your life. And all of us are called to have impact. All of us are called to be light and salt and witness for Jesus. All of us are called to the work of the ministry. In some way, in some, in some fashion, God has spiritual purpose for all of us. And what he's allowing us to go through now is really the training ground, the prep school for what God ultimately is bringing you to. Trials are for the purpose of testing and maturing faith. The third final lesson here just in this early portion is that uh, often we do not realize what the Lord is preparing us for. 
You see, it's hard for us to endure the the situation now because we can't see what the Lord is going to do later. I don't think David had any idea when he was defending those sheep against the lion, against the bear. I don't think he had any vision of standing before Saul and saying, I'll go fight Goliath. He had no way of knowing what God was readying him for. But God was readying him. And that's, that's the lesson that even though you can't see it, what God is doing now is purposeful and fruitful for what he has yet to come. You know, when I was, uh, when I was uh, just a, an elementary school kid, I think it was fifth grade, I got kicked out of the ele- elementary school choir. And it was a pretty tragic moment for me. And, you know, I was only in the choir because I liked goofing off. You know, it was, a, it was a time out of the normal class setting, and my buddies were there, and we were just, you know, goofing off. And then, so the teacher, you know, after, after weeks of me just goofing off and disrupting the choir, the, the teacher who was leading the choir, she said, you know, Richard, I'm kicking you out of the choir. You're going back to class. Oh, no, 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 I'll be good, I'll be good. No, no, Richard, we've heard all that. But she said something to me, and I, you know, I can remember this is like fifth grade. She said, no, Richard, it really hurts me to have to kick you out of the choir because you have a really, really good voice. That's the first time I knew that I even had a voice, you know. And so, I don't know, it kind of softened the blow a little bit. Okay, well, I'm out, but I got a good voice. <laughs> well, you know what? When I went to so when I went to the next you know the middle school element uh, junior high seventh grade, I remembered that, and I thought you know what I'm going to join the choir, I'm going to get in junior high choir because I have a good voice, you know I got I got kicked out and, and and complimented about my voice I thought I had a good voice that she sewed something into my heart in that moment, so guess who I meet in the junior high choir, my wife. We didn't get married right away. <laughs> That's where we met. And we sang in junior high. We sang all through high school. And um, I learned to play the guitar, and she played the keyboard. And, you know, it was many years later after we were married and maybe 15 years into our marriage that a worship ministry need arose in our church where we were fellowshipping. And her and I were able to step in. And start serving in the worship ministry. And that really was kind of the the catalyst for the Lord awakening ministry in my heart. I realized then that God had really ministry for my life. It started through the worship ministry. And of course it's been a part of my life and my family. Here's my son and wife leading us in worship here tonight. Many, many years later. But I would have never dreamed that getting kicked out of the elementary school choir would, would somehow alter the path and direct my steps in a way that God would use many, many years later to accomplish His will and purpose. God is, God, God is working. Okay, whatever you're going through, the Lord is with you and He's working. Don't lose hope. Don't get discouraged. Don't get overwhelmed. Try to find His cause in it and try to align yourself in faithfulness with Him. All right, let's read on. Verse 38, so Saul clothed David with his armor and he put a bronze helmet on his head. He also clothed him with a coat of mail. David fastened his sword to his armor and tried to walk, 
for he had not tested them. And David said to Saul, I cannot walk with these, for I have not tested them. So David took them off. Now you can see this, right? Saul, as I mentioned, he's probably one of the biggest guys in Israel. Imagine, he's got the king's armor. He loads David up with all of this stuff. And David, you know, you can just imagine the helmet kind of coming down over his eyes and the, you know, okay, I'm going to go out and fight Goliath in this. You know, you can, I can't even walk. He says, I've not tested these. This is not what, it's the wrong fit. This is not the way uh, God has trained me. I have no experience, Saul, with your armor and with your weaponry. And, you know, I think it's a good spiritual point there, too. We, we all called uniquely by the Lord. And what God has for me is going to be different than what he has for you and, and so forth. And although there are many common things about, about the Lord's uh, call upon our lives, there are many principles and truths that are universal for all of us, there's always going to be some unique armor that God has equipped you with. And, and you can't walk in another man's armor. You can't fulfill another man or another woman's ministry. You have to learn to, to trust the Lord with what he's given you to work with. And David had not tested these things. It would have been foolish for David to try and go out in Saul's armor. Of course, and here's Saul. Saul, is again, all he can think about is the natural. You're going to need armor. I'm going to have to put all this on. You've got to wear this. This is what we wear when we go out to fight. This is going to protect you against you know, the, the sword. And you're going to have to have these things. Saul only looking in the natural, but David... He needs none of it because he's operating in the spiritual. And I would encourage you tonight to walk in the things that the Lord has given to you. And I would ask you this. Are you tested in those things? David said, I can't use this. I'm not tested with it. I've not tried it. I've not experienced with it. Are you ready? Has the Lord given you some of those things that he truly does want you to walk in? Are they tested? Are you tested in spiritual things? Are you prepared in your prayer life for those things that the Lord would have for you? Are you diligently kind of sowing the word of God into your heart and mind, readying you for the battles that come that are lie ahead? What about the gifts of the Holy Spirit and the and the ministry of his spirit? Are you accustomed to his voice? Are you able to discern the Lord when he's speaking to you, when he's encouraging you, when he's convicting you, when he's challenging you? Are you tested in spiritual things? It's important to be ready. It's important to be kind of diligent in these things, not to try to put them all on in the moment of battle, but that these things are already tested. David had not been tested in Saul's armor, but he had been tested in other ways, as we'll see. Look with me, verse 40. Then he took his staff in his hand. He knew he was a shepherd. He knew how to use his staff. And he chose for himself five smooth stones from the brook and put them in a shepherd's bag in a pouch, which he had. And his sling was in his hand and he drew near to the Philistine. Can you imagine? I love that last. And he drew near to the Philistine. He took the things that he knew how to work with. The things that God had trained him in, the things that God had equipped him. He had his staff and he took five smooth stones. You know the story. He would only need one, but he took five. I think that's why he was ready. And he took his sling and he drew near to the Philistine. He had God. He had the things that God had trained him in. And out he went to face the giant. 
he went drew near to the Philistine. You know, there are times when the Lord brings us to a battle. And, you know, you can talk about the battle. You can think about the battle. You know, David was, you know, it was kind of nice when he was just kind of talking back in the camp. Who's this Philistine? Huh? We have we serve the true and living God. That's big talk. But now he's going out onto the battlefield. There comes a time when, you know what, you've got to bring your faith to the battle. You've got to step out and be ready to do what God has called you to do. He's prepared you for this day. He's brought this moment to you. And now you've got to go forward believing that he's with you. No more talk, no more theory. Time to move in faith. Pick it up, verse 41. So the Philistine came and began drawing near to David. And the man who bore the shield went before him. He had another guy out there with him bearing a shield. Verse 42. And when the Philistine looked about and saw David, he disdained him. For he was only a youth, ruddy and good looking. So the Philistine Philistine said to David, Am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. And the Philistine said to David, Come to me, and I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and the beasts of the field. Then David said to the Philistine, You come to me with a sword and with a spear and with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel whom you have defiled. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you and take your head from you. And this day I will give the carcasses of the camp of the Philistines to the birds of the air and the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. Then all the assembly shall know that the Lord does not save with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hands. Wow. You know, I, I, I imagine this in a movie, right? Uh, you can kind of see the setting. But think about this. Think, think about really the way this might have played out right there on the battlefield. The nine-foot giant Goliath. He's offended. Really? Forty days? This is who you send me? This little punk kid? Am I a dog? You come at me with, with sticks in your hand? Get over here. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to kill you. I'm the Philistine champion. Now, I just imagine, you know, a nine-foot guy, and there he is with his helmet. I, in my mind, I, I hear the voice of Darth Vader, right? <sighs> you know, just, who you think? I'm a dog, you know, this big, burly voice, you know. And then David, the choir boy voice. I'm going to get you, and I'm going to take off your head. <laughs> you know. We don't know exactly how it played out, but allow me a little pastoral liberty here. My sense is that when Goliath spoke, all the armies behind him just like, yeah, that's our champion, cheering. And then David speaks. And I imagine all the Philistines like giggling. Really? (laughs) You're going to take Goliath's head off? And I wonder what the nation of Israel was thinking. I wonder if they were thinking like, oh boy, that's big talk, David, but oh boy, you know, this, you know, you just wonder what was taking place on that battlefield. But I want you to think about what was taking place in the heavenly scene. 
I want you to picture what the angels of heaven were doing in that moment. See, I imagine a completely different spiritual reality as Goliath comes out and makes his boast. And then David comes out in the power and backing of Almighty God and makes his boast. I imagine the the angels beginning to cheer and rumble. And I imagine God rising up from his throne and saying, okay, okay, Goliath, we're here. And, you know, just like uh, when. And so in that setting, with 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 heaven's perspective, hear the voice of David again. You come to me with a sword, with a spear and with a javelin. But I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defiled. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you and take your head from you. And this day I will give the carcasses of the camp of the Philistines to the birds of the air and the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. Then all this assembly shall know that the Lord does not say with sword and spear, For the battle is the Lord's and he will give you into our hands. And I imagine a a cheer erupting in the heavenly scene as the armies, the spiritual armies of God really see this man of faith whom God is not ashamed to be his God getting ready to do battle and bring victory. David is standing up in the battle in, in the Lord's strength for his glory, for his name. For his his uh, purposes. And he's not just going out to fight. He's going out to win. I mean, he doesn't just go out there and say, well, I'll do my best. He says, I'm coming for you, Goliath, and I'm going to take your head off today. I mean, he's already confident that he's got God with him and and we're going to do battle here and God's going to show himself strong. So that all the other nations will know that there's a God in Israel and all those of us in this company, we will know God doesn't need sword and spears. The battle is his. And when God is for you, who can be against you? You know, Goliath cursed David according to his gods, right? You can imagine Goliath saying, my God, stronger than your God, young punk. We're going to take you up, boy, big mistake. God was there. God was ready to work. Look, look now, verse 40, 48. So it was when the Philistine arose and came and drew near to meet David, that David hurried and ran toward the army to meet the Philistine. Then David put his hand in his bag, took out a stone, and he slung it and struck the Philistine in his forehead so that the stone sank into his forehead and he fell on his face to the earth. So David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone, and he struck the Philistine and killed him. But there was no sword in the hand of David. Therefore, David ran and stood over the Philistine and took his sword and drew it out of its sheath and killed him and cut off his head with it. And when the Philistines saw that their champion was dead, they fled. It was the Lord's battle all along. All that was needed was a man of faith who could see it in the spiritual light and reality that it was. And David used his experience with a sling. And just like the Philistine god Dagon, you remember when the the Philistines captured the Ark of the Covenant and they set it beneath their god and their temple Dagon, and in the morning Dagon was on his face 
and they set him up again. And the, in the morning, the God, the God Dagon was on his face again. So the same way Goliath, who believed in Dagon, was on his face when David was through with him. You know, um, I like what one commentator said. Everyone else thought Goliath is so big, I can't beat him. David thought Goliath is so big, I can't miss him. <laughs> I like that. You know, he just saw this as an opportunity. You know, he'd, he'd, he'd had experience with that sling. Now, there is something I think noteworthy there. You know, God uses, again, those experiences. But, but, but David didn't just go out and expect God to just somehow strike him with lightning. He, he, he gave his best to the battle. He brought what he had and he offered it to the Lord and then the Lord used it to bring victory. God wants to use men. God wants to use our lives. Of course, God could have could have wiped out Goliath without any help from anybody. But God was looking for a man. God was looking for a man who would use those things that God had given to him and faith in God to bring victory. And the Lord is still looking to work that way. God wants to use your life. And so you bring what you have. Remember the little boy who brought the loaves and the fish and gave them to the disciples and Jesus multiplied them to feed the thousands. You bring what you have. You offer your best. You do your best. And then God brings the victory because it's his battle. But he's calling you to walk with him. He's calling you to give yourself in faith. And then he brings the victory. It's not us. It's him. And yet he chooses to use us. The Lord had used Saul before in battle. But in Saul, it had produced a pride. Saul imagined that the victories God had given him were, were, were hit to his credit. But we'll see here that David, although the Lord uses David, David remains humble. David knows that it's the Lord's battle. And the difference was the relationship. Saul did not have that intimate relationship with the Lord. And David did. And that relationship, that confidence, that many years of being alone with the Lord, worshiping the Lord, writing music unto the Lord, that life produced faith that was very useful even in time of crisis. Let's keep going here. We'll finish up here tonight. Verse 52. Now the men of Israel and Judah arose and shouted, and pursued the Philistines as far as the entrance of the valley and the gates of Ekron. And the wounded of the Philistines fell along the road to Sharim, even as far as Gath and Ekron. They've chased the enemy down. Verse 53, then the children of Israel returned from chasing the Philistines and they plundered their tents. And David took the head of the Philistine and brought it to Jerusalem. But he put his armor in his tent. David kept a couple souvenirs. The armor... And the head of Goliath. Verse 55. When Saul saw David going out against the Philistine, he said to Abner, the commander of the army, Abner, whose son is this youth? Who's his father? And Abner said, as your soul lives, O king, I do not know. So the king said, inquire whose son this young man is. Then as David returned from the slaughter of the Philistine, Abner took him and brought him before Saul with the head of the Philistine in his hand. And Saul said to him, whose son are you, young man? And David answered him, I am the son of your servant, Jesse, the Bethlehemite. Saul wants to know the family. I mean, after all, he's promised his daughter 
He's promised, you know, tax relief. We better find out who, who this kid belongs to. Now, it's, we're not sure if Saul didn't recognize David or Saul was just inquiring about the family of David. Remember, David used to minister to Saul and play music before him. Uh, but it may have been that, that when Saul was under that distressing spirit, he wasn't really cognizant of who was around him and, and didn't recognize David. And David would often leave and go back and serve his, his father. Or he may have recognized him, but again, is just inquiring about his father. But at any rate, he now, David now has audience with Saul and he brings the head of the Philistine with him. I wonder if he just like carried it around for a while, you know. Kicked it like a soccer ball all the way home. <laughs> all right, it's a little gross. <laughs> well, he said he took it with him to Jerusalem. That would have been many years later. So he kept that thing as a souvenir and a reminder of God's faithfulness and God's victory. All right, I guess that I should not have said that. But uh, kind of ruined the moment here. But let's, let's conclude with a few thoughts. Listen, th- this event would, would change David's life forever. This would be the the big catapulting of David forward. Remember when he was anointed by Samuel as just a shepherd boy and he went back to tending sheep. The question must have been, how is that ever going to happen? How am I ever even going to be known by the kingdom, let alone become the king? Well, here's here's the moment that God crafted and brought him to this time. He's going to be famous from here on out. David is going to be a known commodity in Israel from this day forward. And you know what? He brought great victory. And this victory, I think we can consider it a little bit as a picture in advance of the victory that would one day be won by the one who they would call son of David, Jesus himself as the Messiah. Remember, he would be referred to as the son of David. And in the same way that David won victory on the battlefield against the giant and champion of the enemy for all of his nation and all of his people. So Jesus, Jesus has gone out and faced the enemy, faced the enemy of the devil, faced the enemy of sin, faced the enemy of death. And he has won the victory for all mankind. He's our champion. He's the one that has gone out and conquered sin, death and the grave. We had no hope. You know, 40 days. I I thought to myself, Lord, why 40 days? You know, why did this go? Why did you let that go on so long? And, you know, I just felt like, you know what? So that there would be no doubt that that no one was able to do it. No one was willing. No one was able. No one was capable. Uh, Exhaust every possibility. You know, had had David come in and done it the first day, maybe a couple other people would have, well, I could have done that. But after 40 days, we knew nobody was willing to do that. And in the same way, we were lost and without hope. You see, sin separates us from God. And there is this barrier between what God ultimately has for us and his plan for us. In the same way that the Philistines had camped in Judah's, on Judah's turf, the promised land, the things that God desired for his people were kept from his people by the enemy. And the enemy in our lives is our own sin and our own shortcoming. But God has sent a champion. God has sent the son of David, Jesus Christ, He who knew no sin has become sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. God has conquered sin. God has bridged the gap. God has defeated and pushed back the enemy once and for all. And we stand in that victory. Just as Israel enjoyed the victory, so we enjoy the victory 
that has been won by us, won for us by Christ. Just some closing thoughts here, and then we'll, we'll close in a song of worship. Just kind of summing up the things we looked at both last week and this week, I would say just, just a few bullets for you. Number one, align your heart with the Lord. That's the key for David. He comes onto the scene and his heart is aligned with the Lord's. Everybody else is in fear. Everybody else is thinking only in the natural. David's heart is aligned with the Lord's. His cause is on his mind. Number two, learn how to see with the eyes of faith. Recognize, as Paul said, you do not war against flesh and blood, but against spiritual forces in high places. We are engaged in spiritual battle. And we need to see with spiritual eyes. And those are the eyes of faith. Those are the eyes of God's promise, God's truth, God's gift to us in Christ. Number three, nothing is wasted in your life. David was out there being just a shepherd boy. You might have thought, what a waste of time. None of it was wasted. And God is using everything in your life now for his good purpose in your future. And finally, of course, the battle belongs to the Lord. What that means, Christian, is that victory is certain because the battle is his. We are not fighting for victory. We're fighting from victory. Jesus said it is finished. He has defeated these things. Jesus would tell his disciples, be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. You'll have trouble. You'll have trial. But be of good cheer. I have already overcome the world. You, you are on the winning team and you are, you are standing in victory. Walk in that confidence and see what the Lord can and will do in your life. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the classic account of David and Goliath. We are blessed tonight just to be refreshed in this beautiful story of faith, this beautiful story of victory. And God, we are reminded tonight of the victory that you have won for us in our champion, in our Savior, Jesus Christ, our Lord. David's victory was really just a small foretaste of the ultimate victory that the son of David, Jesus Christ, the Lord, would win at Calvary. And so tonight, Lord, I am certain that there are some here tonight that are being taunted by a Goliath out in front of them on their battlefield. And I pray that you would encourage their hearts tonight to know that, you, that the battle is yours and that they can trust in you and stand in the things that you have already given them in Christ. But Lord, I'm also mindful tonight that there may be some here who are not really walking in relationship with you at all. There may be some tonight who have never really received the love and the victory that has been won for them by Jesus at the cross. And Lord, I would love to pray for those hearts here tonight that are feeling compelled to come to Christ. If you're here tonight and and you know about Christ, you, you know something of the story, but you've never really made a personal commitment to Him and received Him as your Lord and champion. I'd love to pray for you as you invite Him into your life. He wants to forgive you of your sin as you put your trust in His work at the cross, as you turn 
from the direction you've been living, your own self-effort, your own natural life, and turn to Him and ask God to bring the spiritual life alive in you. I'd love to pray for you. Maybe you're here tonight and you need to rededicate, recommit your life to the Lord. Maybe you find yourself far from God. You at one time walked with Him, but you know tonight that you need to return. You need to rededicate yourself and invite Him afresh to be the Lord of your life again. I'd love to pray for you too. Just before we close in some worship, if you're here tonight, you want to receive the Lord Jesus for the very first time, or you would like to rededicate and recommit your life to the Lord, I would ask you just to raise your hand tonight where you're seated. Let me see you so I can pray for you. God bless you, sir. Ma'am, God bless you. Any others? hands here tonight. Anyone else? You need the Lord. You need to come back to the Lord. He loves you. He's won a great victory for you. Anybody else? Just before I pray, speaking to you, you want to be a part of this prayer. And so, Lord, for these hearts responding to you tonight, God, I would ask that you would meet them with your love and with your grace and with your mercy. Lord, that they would come to you with a great confidence tonight. Not because of anything that they deserve or anything that they've earned or could ever earn. But because of a confidence to know that you love them enough that you sent Jesus Christ to die on the cross for their sins. And that they would simply say in faith tonight, Jesus, I believe. I believe. Forgive me. Cleanse me. Come alive in my heart afresh and anew. And become, Lord, the Lord of my life. I invite this tonight. In Jesus' name, amen.